Lovely being with you guys. It's really, uh, I, I think I'll maybe stand at this one here. Is that all right? That's a better. That's okay. I'm a bit short for that other one. I grew up in the, I grew up in the Brethren. My, my dad was, uh, was one of the elders in the Brethren, and he was a handyman. He, he was great at uh, fixing things. And there's a little man used to come to, to preach for us called um, Mr. McKee. And Mr. McKee was only five foot. And my dad made him a box to stand on. So when he, because when he stood behind the platform, you actually couldn't see him. So my dad made him a box to stand on. And one of my funny memories, amazing the things that you remember, one of my funny memories of a boy was he walked off the box one Sunday morning. So, um, so uh, um, that's my claim to fame. Um, God the Creator, that's who we're talking about this morning. We're talking about God the Creator. In the beginning, God. Beautiful, isn't it? The word God there is the word Elohim. It means God in plurality. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our wonderful um, interpreters of the Bible from Hebrew and Greek did a wonderful job, but sometimes it's really important for you to to um, feel out a little bit what the meaning of the word is. So, for instance, in the beginning, God Elohim is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. When you go on later on in the chapter, and it says, and the Lord God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's not Elohim, it's Jehovah, all right? And it's, it's important to understand those wee things. I love that because the one who would breathe life into man in the very first place is the one who would redeem him, um, 4,000 years later. So in the beginning, God, Elohim. The story of our lives only makes sense in the big story of God. And so I, I love your series. I love that um, you're pl planning this because as Christians, we believe that God is the author of the story. God is the one who has put this plot in place and he has set into our hearts his story. And so we, our story only actually comes alive in his story, all right? And so it's really important to remember that. I love this passage. This, oh, there we go. We're working. In Isaiah 46, where it says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Not only do we believe that he's the author, we believe that he's the main character. Beautiful, isn't it? We believe that God, the author, becomes the, the central part of this incredible story. The Bible is essentially God's story. Our next slide says that. It's essentially God's story. God is both the chief character and the author of his story. He plays the part. And the only way we can truly and fully understand our purpose and find the purpose of our lives is understanding his story. That's, we have to figure that out, all right? We need to, that's how we find. And so it was written by Moses many, many years after actually creation. And it was written to help the Israelites find the origin of their story because there was all kinds of things going about. There was kinds of theories that God had a fight with darkness and and there was kind, if you study it, you'll find there was other kinds of things. So this was written to help them understand their story and deny other stories, all right? So that's really important. 
And so God's bigger than it all. As our next slide will show, he's bigger than everything. He is not abstract goodness, all right? He's not just abstract goodness. Are we working there? Can we go one more? There we go. He is a, he is a person. He is a person. And so it's important that we know all this from the beginning, all right? He creates with the word of his power. He, um, he created, God was, uh, he creates light without the sun, <laughs> all right? He created light actually before even there was sun. And so in the first uh, chapters of Genesis, we set the scene for our story and, and the plot begins. So in the beginning, God. So much in that um, little statement. In the beginning, God. God outside of time and the world as we know it, bigger and beyond what the human mind can imagine, transcendent, self-existent, self-replenishing himself with strength, adorning himself in light. This next slide is a little bit wordy, but Adam Clark, uh, I just thought it was important that we code it because Adam Clark um, put this together. I thought it was brilliant. God is the eternal, independent, self-existent being, the being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that he has made, illimitable in immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself. Beautiful, isn't it? Because infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just, right, and kind. I could quit right now. Like, isn't that amazing? This uh, God who... Who, who created us. Like, for instance, God created light. Light travels at 300,000 kilometers per hour. That means if I had a light gun right now and I were to shoot it, it could go around the world seven times. There's 25,000 miles around the world. It would go around the world seven times through my heart before I could jump out of the road. That's how fast light is. Seven times around the world through me before I could step out of its road. Um, if I had a, got into my car and decided I would drive to the moon at the speed of light, I would get there in one second. If I were to get into my car and drive to the sun, which is 91 million miles away, I would get there in eight minutes at the speed of light. If I were to drive to the edge of our galaxy as we know it, which I'll show you in a minute or two, if we were to drive to the edge of our galaxy at the speed of light, it would take us 50,000 years. This is God. There are 17 galaxies in the corner of the universe and 10,000 more galaxies that they know of. That's not including the ones they don't know of. All right? I have a couple of slides here. This is the Earth here. This is our little Earth. And this is the Sun. Uh, this is the, the thing that God created. This is the, You can put one million of our earths into the sun. All right? God created this kind of stuff for the word. This is who we're... Like, I, I, I tend to think... I grew up a brethren boy, and it's hard. You can take the boy out of the brethren. It's hard to take the brethren out of the boy. And, and 
And I just think sometimes there is a lack of fear and respect of God. I think that we think sometimes um, in our in our sort of postmodern world that God's like a big one of us. God is not a big one of us. God is God. He's eternal. This is the sort of stuff he does. So if you think the sun is big, go to our next slide, you'll see um, this is the earth. This is the earth in, con in, in conjunction to our sun. Go to the next slide. You see, you think the sun's big. This is the sun here. It doesn't actually even show up in respect to uh, Antares, which is one of the, the rather bigger planets. I think you can put 25 million of our suns into this boil here on the right-hand side. This is the sort of stuff that God... And if you think he's big, right? Go to the next one. Um, this Antares, this is one of our biggies. Now, he's not the biggest one. There's another one called Hercules, who's bigger again. And I think if, if, my, if, my, if Google is right... Um, you can put a hundred million of Antares into Hercules. This is God. This is God, right? Now, you think that's pretty cool. Go to the next slide, you see this, right? The little dot in the middle is our Milky Way. That's not the world. That's the Milky Way. That's the one I told you would take 50,000 years to get to at the speed of light. <laughs> that little pink dot in the middle. You go on out, and you, you can see up at the top left-hand corner, it would take 20 million light years. If you were to drive at the speed of light, it would take you 20 million years to get to the outside ring of this galaxy and then, then the world beyond that they don't know. In the beginning, God, the voice of his power, I often wonder, I often wonder, and this is just a little thought on his my opinion, I don't often give opinions, but I often wonder, when God said, let there be, has it ever stopped? Is it just going on? Is the world just, is it, is because they, they, they make these big telescopes and telescopes beyond telescopes, and they just keep telling us that there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And here's what the Bible says in our next slide. Here's what our Bible says. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. <laughs> he knows their names. And, and it says, because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one is missing. He is the creator in the beginning, God. And so Genesis, this story reminds us of the awesomeness and the incomparable nature of who God is. It is alive with his transcendence and his nearness, his incomparable nature and the closeness of his voice. The God who, who, who created all that I've just shown you and more is, is within a voice call of us. He's within our earshot to hear and be with us. So if we think backwards until the past vanishes and forwards until our imagination collapses, God is there. There is not a moment in time or not an inch of space that God can't say, that's mine and I was there. He is God. And yet this text goes on to tell us that, that this eternal family, unchanging 
and undiminished in glory are at both points of time as far back as our minds could ever think and as far forwards as it would ever allow us to crawl. This is God. And, and, and the text goes on to remind us not just of his power, but of the intimacy and the closeness of God in creating and forming man in his image. And why not mention in the, the, in the Genesis narrative the word Trinity because it's not a biblical word. We just have made that word up to explain a little bit the Godhead, um, which is another word we've made up as well. We are told something very important about God, something deeply formative for our story. Genesis talks about the usness of the Godhead. He ta- I love this. He says, let us make Man, hey guys, come on, I have an idea. Let's create somebody like us. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working, one God, three distinct personalities. We're Trinitarian in a belief, so not separate but distinct and constituting one being, each one so deeply in love. God is community. God is relationship, which means he is eternal love. Our next slide gives us a, bit of, um, a little bit of Hebrew or Greek. Somebody said, I once said, I knew a little Greek, but he owned a restaurant in Hillsborough. So um, this word parachorus, parachorus, or however you pronounce it, means the eternal dance of the Trinity. I love this. This is so beautiful. The eternal dance of the Trinity, deep oneness, perfect belonging, perfect love, and immeasurable delight and joy in relationship, mutual indwelling and impenetration. It's inter penetration of God. And I love that passage in John 17 where Jesus said, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you when the, before the world began. It's just so beautiful, isn't it? As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God eternally exists as perfect love. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit ascribe ultimate worth to each other without any competition and the eternal, their eternal life together consists um, with the divine joy of expressing the absolute value each has for one another. And so this view and understanding of the Trinity provides the backdrop for which we understand creation, the triune God uh, welcoming creation into his relationship. That's why your story can only fit in his story. It only fits when we begin to understand. This is what happened um, with the Israelites. They, they were getting confused about who they were. And so, so Moses takes pen to paper and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes and tells them about the God story. I love when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he bumped into his two friends, whether they were man, wife, two men, two women, it doesn't really tell us, but whoever it were, it just talks about the two on the road to a mess. It says that he began at the prophets and told them about himself. Many of us don't, I, I, that's why I love your, your new, your God is. I love this new series you're doing because it's so important that we know the origin of the story. It's so important because we can only know our story when we know his story. We can only fully find ourselves when we truly know who he is. And so this is so lovely. And so we are created for love. And in our next slide, we are created from love, for love, to love. And if you study creation, you'll find in the first three days, God separates in parts. He, he, he creates things. He separates and he parts. And in the next three days, he populates and he fills. 
and it begins to populate and fill, that's what they have separated and parted. And then, and then, as Merv rightfully told us this morning, that in day seven, it was complete break in the poetry. It was to be a special day. This was this, this day of, 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 of incredible relationship with God. I always think it's amazing that God created man on the second half of the sixth day. He didn't create him in the first day so he could be involved in all the nitty-gritty. He created him at the end of all creation. He was the last thing that God created, and then the next day he took a day off just to spend it with him. Beautiful, isn't it? Just all about relationship. By the word, Psalm 33, 6, it's on our slide. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. That's why um, one of the old Hebrew words for God was Yahweh. There's actually no meaning to the word. It's like a word for breath. It was like, yeah, Yahweh. Because God was too holy. That, that's what they called him, Yahweh. And we see in this passage that what is really important for us to know about our story is that God is a loving creator who's bound to his creation. This is so important for us um, this morning. Um, creation only happens because of the desire of the creator, and God was calling creation to a faithful response and a glad obedience. And the best word to describe this is covenant. Now, on our next slide, I'm a studier of covenant, and I've loved this. This is my own little um, diagram, um, which I've figured out over the years. And um, if you understand the covenant in the Bible is an important theme. Covenant is God's idea, all right? God was the one that thought it up in the first place. And so the Bible is, our Bible is written in two covenants, old covenant and new covenant. Theologians tell us there are thousands of covenants in the Bible. And um, those of, those of, if you're a studier of the Bible, you've probably based it around nine basic covenants. So you have this covenant, the everlasting. So the word everlasting, this is from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's the everlasting covenant of God. And then in that everlasting covenant of God, God begins to form all of these things. So there's an Edenic covenant made before the fall. And then, of course, we know the story. I'm not, it's not my ethos this morning to talk to you about the, what happened, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, the tree of life. Um, but the, because they ate of the knowledge of tree of knowledge and good and evil, they were, they were cast out of the garden and they fell into sin. And then God invented a ladder of covenant that would climb them right back to where they left. This is the most beautiful thing. So from, from Adam to Noah to Abram to Moses to Joshua to David to a new and eternal covenant that would take us to glory. If you go to the next slide, Sam, it'll maybe give it you a little bit better on, the, on a flat line. So it's basically the same diagram, only on a flat line. Uh, again, if you can imagine in the green, there's a cre creative. All of these covenants are all redemptive. That's why it's in red. The beginning is a creative one. And then you have this timeline. Don't worry about the 2,000 years. This is just a little thought out of 2 Peter 5, 8. I'll come back and tell you sometime about it. Um, um, and then here we are right now in Ephesians 2.10, working, doing the works that God has prepared for us to do beforehand. And we're somewhere, somewhere prior to the turn of Jesus that is beckoning at the door and you can't be watching the news with half a brain and not know we're somewhere near the end of that line. 
And it's incredibly awesome when we think of God in his creation doing all of this sustaining. Covenant is the rugged commitment to be with someone and for someone unto divine ends. When Laurie and I got married, we made a covenant of marriage, as many as you did, until death do us part. It's a lifetime covenant. And this covenant is a rugged commitment. God sustains and he creates his world. He makes covenant deep promise with creation that they'll never be left alone, not abandoned. And of course, the risk was great. The risk with the pinnacle of his creation was with mankind, of course, uh, and if you read the account, we'll not take time to do it, in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, let us make man in our own image. And then he, he creates him in the image of God, male and female. And then he said this to him. He said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Adam, one of the earth, um, who is formed in his own image. And, and God bends down and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. It's unbelievable. God making man in his own image. The angels are astounded at this as man. The lungs begin to fill and the angels are looking on and said, what is God playing at? He's making one like himself, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, bone strong and durable, flesh dependent and soft. And, and, and the Psalm 8 We'll read it as we finish off in a moment or two, but that psalmist is trying to get his head around this, why God would ever crown this creature with glory and honor, and, and, he's, and he's creating this amazing, beautiful person. Now, I did a little bit of research with Google again on the human being, all right? Let me give you a few details on the human being. The human brain can hold, this is, this is what God created. The human brain can hold five times as much information as the Encyclopedia Britannica, right? There are 100 million nerve cells and 1,000 terabyte of storage. I don't really know what that means, but you tacky guys, that'll probably float your boat, all right? <laughs> 1,000 terabytes of storage. Nerve impulses to and from the brain travel at 170 miles per hour. Incredible. The eyes receive um, approximately 90% of all our information, making us basically visual creatures, and the focusing muscles of the eyes move around 100,000 times a day. To give your leg muscles the same workout as your eyes get every day, you would need to walk 50 miles every day. You blink over 10 million times a year, the lungs contain over 3 million capillaries, little tiny blood vessels, and if they were laid end to end, they would stretch 1,500 miles. Right? Your skin, you're going to love this, your skin loses about 30,000 to 40,000 dead skin cells from the surface almost every minute. So you're sitting beside somebody now, you're going, ugh. Even though you don't see it happening, your skin sheds a layer of these dead cells every 24 hours and renews itself about every 28 days completely. So they talk about dust being dried skin. They're, if going home and look under your couch, there could be somebody lying in there. All right? <laughs> it's just an old you. All right? Um, every, every day, an adult body produces 300 billion new cells. Each kidney contains, listen to this, one million individual filters, right? They filter an average of around 1.3 liters of blood per minute. The human bone is as strong as granite in supporting weight, and a block of bone the size of a matchbox can support nine tons, right? 
That's four times as much as concrete can support. About 30, oh, you're going to love this one. About 32 million bacteria call every inch of your skin home. <laughs> All right? Um, see you moving apart a little bit. Um, your nose can remember 50,000 different scents, and the human body, the human are the only mammals to produce emotional tears. Relative to size, the strongest muscle in the body is the tongue. That doesn't surprise some of you, I'm sure. The human heart creates enough pressure when it pumps out of the body to squirt blood 30 foot in distance. Your ears, you'll love this, secrete more earwax when you're afraid than when you aren't. Feet have 500,000 sweat glands and can produce more than a pint of sweat every day. Any of you have got smelly feet, there you go. Merv, again, on your point, on average, a four-year-old child asks 437 questions a day. Children grow faster in spring. True. All right? Only 7% of the population are lefties. Who else the lefties in here? Wow, 7%. My wife's one. All right? Um, these are special people. Your eyes are always the same size from birth, but your nose and your ears never stop growing. Proof is this. I wear hearing aids because I grew up in, in, in the quarry industry, working the quarry with my dad. So, um, so I, I wear hearing aids. And, and last year they pulled the crackers, and there was a, a, one of the jokes was, "What is ears but can't hear?" And one of my kids said, "Dad." Actually, the right answer is corn. But um, <clears throat> so uh, where were we? When you sneeze. You sneeze at over 100 miles per hour and all bodily functions stop, including your heart. I know you're loving this. When you sleep, you grow by 8 millimeters, which is about 0.3 of an inch, and the next day you shrink back to your former height, and the reason is your cartilage discs are squeezed like sponges by the force of gravity when you stand or sit. During your lifetime, you will produce enough saliva to fill two average-sized swimming pools. That yuck, isn't it? <laughs> on average, on average, a human will spend up to two weeks kissing in his or her lifetime. A one-minute kiss burns 26 calories. So turn and kiss your neighbor. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that, please. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. All the time, all the time, God is creating this person that I've just explained to you. And Jesus is watching on, and he's thinking, be careful, because I'm going to take on that form. I'm going to be one of them. And uh, God was going to bind himself in the person of Jesus to humanity forever. And in heaven today, there's a person with all of those human attributes that I've just explained to you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? There is a man in glory today because of the attributes that I'm just telling you. And God had this special part for him to play. First, to enjoy him, and, and secondly, to co-partner with him. And so God's commission to Adam um, was to, to subdue the earth. I'm winding this up in a few, few minutes. I, I'll, I'll keep your times. But the word subdue is an interesting word. We, don't, we, we read over it all the time. Subdue means to overcome, to quieten, and to bring under control. It means to defeat, to vanquish, look up the dictionary, to overpower, to overwhelm, to quash, to quell, to beat, to master, 
um, to, to, to bring something under control by force. So here's the deal. God created man. God wanted to extend the borders of Eden. He gives him Eden, but the idea was that he would subdue. There was a vocation in this. So whenever God created Adam, it wasn't just giving him everything that was perfect, which was wonderful and great. He's given him a, a mandate. He's saying, I want you to take it from Eden, and I want you to work out. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to conquer the whole earth. So God gives man vocation, rule the earth. He gives him permission, eat anything you want, enjoy the earth. And he gives him one little prohibition, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I finish by telling you this. Why in the wide world did he give man freedom of choice? Did he know there was a risk? Of course he knew there was a risk. God made man in his image, and God was the purest and holiest of loves. Love that is pure is not forced or coerced. And this kind of holy love is self-giving and sacrificial and spills over. There is nothing hoarding. There is nothing self-centered about this love. It is a love that gives. So this kind of love is the ultimate freedom. Ultimate love and ultimate freedom go together. When someone truly loves you, you feel free. When you're truly loved, you don't feel a bondage to that love. You're free to that. And so God, in our next slide, it says God's speech is not coercive, but suggestive, not compelling, but inviting. God has a hope in his heart rather than a demand. And so there's something about this idea. Was there a risk? Of course there was a risk. But for God, we were worth that risk because the joy and delight that he gets when you love him in return is more than we can ever imagine. And God was gifting them with this freedom. But what he was saying is this, Folks, and this, you need to get this. The freedom is when you live in him. The freedom is when we live in him. I, I, he says, I'm giving you permission to enjoy my creation, and I'm giving you a vocation within this that you can co-partner, but this is the prohibition, not the aid of the tree, for freedom and life comes in me and not in and of yourselves. And if you really want to live freely and lightly, you need to live in him. You need to live in him. And if you're not living in him, you will only find your story when you understand his story. It only comes to light and it only comes to being when you really understand his story. I love this. There's just something about finding ourselves in him. So to finish, let's read Psalm 8. I have it on the screen in the NIV. This is what the psalmist said. Oh, it's on two slides. Oh, Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Distill the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. Isn't that amazing? He has crowned us with glory and honor. And he says, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, what passes along the path of the sea. O oh, Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the psalmist in awe of God's creation and in awe of the place of rule that God was given particularly to humanity. 
This is the incredible thing. And God has written glory over the heavens. Why? Because he has written glory over your life. He's written glory over our life. You have destiny and honor written over your life. That's why the God story is so important. That's why God is is such an important topic because before there was ever original sin, there was original glory. And God destined that glory for you and for me. And if we love him and we know him, we get to play. And we only find our story in his big story. So if you're my age, in the words of Eamon Holmes, this is your life. (laughs) It's a hymn book. It's all about him. And when we find God in the story, and we find him in this, and we get caught up, and I get to play in this. This is why this church and the school is so exciting, because this is just part of his story. This is not just grace. This is his grace. This is you being caught up in his story. Finding yourselves in him is such a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, We get caught up in such incredible awesomeness when we think about who you are. We exalt you. We love you. We declare you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And so we honor you for your majesty. We honor you for how you hurled the worlds into existence by a word of your power that you created from nothing. Without even a substance to begin with, you created with just a power in a, in a vocality. And so, Lord, we exalt your name this morning. We pray, O oh God, that you would, you would incite us, that you would direct us, Father, that we would begin to find ourselves in your story and realize that we can only truly find our story when we see where it fits in you. Thank you for the honor and the destiny that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.